I try to tell people. It's like I'm telling family members what I saw. And no, I wasn't getting any reaction. And I felt hopeless. So I went through this hopeless stage. And then was the anger stage. Like, why is this happening? Why isn't anybody understanding? Welcome to Plant-Based DFW with Dr. Riz and Maya. In our show, we cover topics about lifestyle medicine, such as healthful eating, physical activity, stress management, building relationships, and improving your sleep. We also enjoy talking about topics such as the environment and animal welfare, and we will bring you experts such as physicians, dietitians, and health coaches. And we also like hearing testimonies from people like you. Dolly Villasahuja is an Ahimsa animal activist and a voice for the voiceless. Her mission is to spread awareness and education about the cruelty of the dairy industry. In this episode, she tells myself and Dr. Riss about her personal story towards becoming vegan. And now she's also sharing about her film, The Land of Ahimsa. Her goal is to share the message that dairy is not Ahimsa. A little bit about the film, The Land of Ahimsa. In a land of 1.3 billion people, there's a steering movement that runs deep in the valleys and deserts. The Land of Ahimsa is a feature-length documentary on Dolly's journey to becoming a vegan and a voice for the voiceless. After an overnight transformation to veganism five years ago, she returns to her motherland with a new set of eyes that are open to animal cruelty. Dolly strives to transform India back into the land of Ahimsa and inspire others to immediately end violence towards all living beings. You can reach uh, Dolly through her website, thelandofahimsa.com. She's also on Facebook and on Instagram. She also has a GoFundMe account by the same name where you can support her film. Let's get to know Dolly via Sahuja. Welcome, Dolly. How are you? I'm doing great, Maya. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, thank you for joining us as well. Yes, we're very excited. You've been really busy, actually, haven't you? It's been crazy, but it's what I asked for, so I'm grateful. (laughs) Happy belated. You just had a birthday yesterday. Yes, yes, and I feel great. You know, um, I'm not going to tell you my age, but... (laughs) You don't don't look bad for 75. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Riz. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I feel the energy that I never did before in my life. So, um, yeah, life's just getting started. And let's just start off getting to know you a little bit. Where are you from? So, Maya, I was born in India, but raised in the United States. Um, I came here when I was age one. So, I've lived the American life, you know, the American dream. And um, we were first in Philadelphia, then I was in Michigan. And uh, right now, I live in Texas. Awesome. Yeah, I, I usually say I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, glad yep. we're here. How did you become vegan? Yeah, Maya, um, so five years ago, uh, I started meditating. Mm-hmm. And I, I started following Taoism and the way of the Tao. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Taoist teacher, you know, told me to meditate outside, um, especially under a tree. Because trees have carry a lot of knowledge, and they carry a higher vibration and frequency. And so, in the beginning, I would exchange oxygen and CO two with the tree. So we created this symbiotic relationship. Later, 
I put my hands in the soil of the tree. Mm. I would ask Mother Earth, you know, get rid of all the toxins in my body and decompose it to positive energy. Mm. And so soon after this, I came home and um, I saw a video on juicing. It was from the Garrison Therapy Clinic where they're curing people with cancer with carrot, apple, and ginger juice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I've got to start doing this. And so I bought a juicer. My first juicer was the Omega, cold pressed. And um, I started making this for my family. I felt great. Mm -hmm. And after that, I realized, okay, I need to get a Vitamix because I need to make mm -hmm. fruit smoothies with fresh strawberries and pineapple and beets and flaxseed and hemp seed. I did that and then started getting into like lemon and ginger water at night with a little mint. Mm. And um, then came the green juice. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I just felt, wow, I felt this energy I never did before. Mm -hmm. um, I'm at the gym pumping it with the 20-year-olds. 20 <laughs> um, I'm not feeling tired. Um, I'm not getting sick. I, I fall asleep like a baby. Um, wake up with this tremendous stamina, vitality. Mm -hmm. uh, going into a meditation very quickly, manifesting. Mm -hmm. um, so it felt really good. Mm -hmm. And I would continue, then I would ask the tree, you know, show me knowledge and truth and gratitude and, and make my heart grow bigger and bigger. Let it multiply and multiply. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I, w I came home from walking my dog and, um, I bumped into another video called The Best Speech Ever by Gary Yowalski. Mm -hmm. And it was on animal cruelty. Mm. And oh, it was so difficult to watch. You know, it was so graphic, so painful. I never knew that animals go through this kind of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And it hurt me so deep down in the core. I remember that night, um, April 16, 2014. I wanted to cook dinner, but um, I had a breakdown on the kitchen floor. Hmm, I just started wow. bawling and crying, and uh, my husband's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I, I, I don't want to live. I almost thought I needed to get put into a psychiatric hospital or something. Yeah. I, I didn't want to live anymore. At this point, were you already vegetarian? Uh, so, Dr. Riz, let me take you back. Uh, we came into this country when I was age one, and at home, we ate vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And I think when my brother and I started school, my dad enrolled us in the school lunch program. And that's when we started eating meat. Um, I don't know why my parents never told us because they grew up vegetarian. I think my dad thought, we're going to be living in this country and let's adapt to the American culture. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I think that's how it happened. But basically at home, we always ate Indian vegetarian food. It's just that when we were out, and when I was 16, I worked at McDonald's. I mean, yes, I was pretty much disconnected, um, so I was not a vegetarian. Yeah, so isn't that interesting? Then when that helps us, when we had that same perspective, uh, it helps us understand how other people don't necessarily, aren't necessarily enlightened, and then we have to find a way to get through them, right? Yes, yes, so true, so true. Because we don't think we were bad people, but our eyes just weren't open. Exactly. Exactly. And Dolly, what was it about for people who've never heard the best speech ever? Tell us a little bit about that speech that touched you. Yeah, uh, I think it was more the video, um, and I watched all of it. Uh -huh. 
Um, and I love Gary. I love Gary because he says it like it is. A lot of people think he's offensive, mm -hmm. but I love how Gary just says it out as it is. And basically, there's no humane way to kill an animal that doesn't want to die. Mm -hmm. And he covers all the facts, but he, he says it very straight up in a harsh way. And the video itself just, just did it for me. And, you know, after that, I kept watching Gary because I love his passion. In fact, I try to get him to, you know, interview him for our movie, but I can't uh, get in touch with him. Right. Yeah. He's kind of retired. But I love Gary's passion about, he talks about the victim and he talks about, you know, we're considering animals as commodities, as things, and we don't see them as living, breathing um, creatures. So take us back to when you went to dinner and you started bawling and you were on the floor. Right. So my husband picks me up and I had to tell him what I saw. So the first phase was this depression phase that I went through. It made me vegan overnight because I, I just could not have this pain and anxiety and fear and torture and death in my body. And I woke up and I went to the grocery store. You know, I had nightmares. I went to the grocery store and my knees would tremble as I was walking you know, in the aisle and I learned to pick up, okay, I can pick up this kind of butter, this kind of milk. I think I started off that way because we weren't really heavy meat eaters anyway. I try to tell people. It's like I'm telling family members what I saw. And no, I wasn't getting any reaction. And I felt hopeless. So I went through this hopeless stage. And then was the anger stage. Like, why is this happening? Why isn't anybody understanding? And then I went to my first vegan potluck, and I met people who felt the same way I did. Mm. And that's when I kind of felt like, wow, you know, I don't need to be angry anymore. I don't need to feel hopeless anymore. And, and, and I, I continued to go to the tree every day, and I think the tree even enlightened me that why don't you start talking to your own Indian people on dairy who are already vegetarians? And I was like, wow. And so I started researching. I would just, just write notes, write notes, write notes. I don't know when I was going to use it, but I just started writing notes. Mm -hmm. And I called my mom up and I told her, you know, I just didn't want to be vegan. I had to uh, be the voice for the voiceless. And I want to do something. And I want to talk to my Indian people. So she gave me a number to a friend of ours in Philadelphia who's a Jane who happened to be vegan. Mm, wow. Okay. Yeah, and his name was Mr. Um, Dilip Shah, and he happened to give me a number to a man here in Houston named Mr. Shulek Jane, who's been a vegan for 30 years. I called him. I told him I wanted to speak at the temple. He introduced me to the president of the temple, and they invited me to talk on Vegan Day. Wow. And um, this is how my journey started, you know, and it's been amazing. You know, talk about a journey. You started off in a positive light, in a sense, seeking... Um, you were on a spiritual path with your meditation, um, you know, meditating under the tree and also uh, juicing because you had read some information on the Gerson therapy. So you were taking care of your body, you were taking care of your soul, and then boom, you're hit with this revelation that there's cruelty in the world and that you were participating in it as well. That's right, Maya. That's right. But, but then that turned around to lead you to a higher purpose. It did. It did. You know, I found out uh, my purpose. So um, I spoke at that Jane Temple and, and then came other places. And 
Um, I went to, I spoke at vegan potlucks. I spoke at universities. I would, I would basically call whenever people would call me to speak on mother cow and her baby. Um, I just felt it was my duty to do so. So tell us what you would share with people. Well, yes, I would talk about the cruelty of dairy. And my topic first was a compassionate world. But then later on, I changed the title to why dairy is not ahimsa. Mm -hmm. And the word, yes. And the word ahimsa, you know, means nonviolence to all living beings. And that's especially meaningful to Indians, correct? Correct. And that's why if, if Indians are believing in pure ahimsa, they're mainly vegetarians. So my mission is to um, have Indian temples take the pledge of banning dairy products mm -hmm. because dairy and beef are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And um, yeah, it would, you know, it's very hard because I'm going against a 5,000 year uh, tradition and culture. Right. But I find that the Jains are a little bit more willing to listen than the Hindus. Um, I've tried to get into Hindu temples, but they just give me the runaround. So then is it this dairy, uh, uh, the mission specifically related to dairy, that then uh, got you on the path to your documentary? Yes. Yeah, so what? So then all this talking led me to talk at the World Vegan Conference in New Delhi, India. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So I'm telling my husband, oh, we got to go to India. I was finding out through social media that there was a lot of activists in India and there was a stirring vegan movement going on. And, you know, I started becoming friends with them over social media. So I'm telling my husband, well, if we go there, I want to interview some activists and I want to interview some because I started a YouTube channel and I started interviewing people on this YouTube channel. So I was just telling my husband, yeah, let's let's interview some people while we're there. And I made a list of everybody I wanted to interview, like plant-based doctors and athletes. And then I woke up one day and I was like, you know what, Mayor? Why don't we just do a documentary? Because there's so many people I want to interview. Why don't we just, this never been done. This kind of documentary has never been done about India. And um, he's like, wow, you really want to do that? I said, yeah. You know, he knew a friend he grew up with, like a brother who's a Bollywood director. And we called him that evening and we're like, we have this thought. Are you interested in helping us out? And he's like, yeah, tell me all about it. Tell me your story. And he loves challenges. And he's like, I think this would be great. I think it's great if we tell your story. Very nice. So how long ago was this idea born? Gosh, uh, a good year now. Well, it seems like you've, uh, you know, we've heard so much about you and you've done so much that for me, it seems like it was longer than that. Well, yeah, I mean, my YouTube channel has been on and I've been interviewing people. But uh, yeah, we hadn't sp spoken to the director in India till um, it was like last year sometime. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And so tell us what you've been doing since then as far as the documentary is concerned. I went to India for the Animal Liberation March. We had an Animal Liberation March. And I attended that where I met all these activists and I started interviewing them. And then I went to dairy farms in India. Mm. And oh my gosh, what I witnessed. Now, a lot of people, a lot of Indians especially will say that, oh, but there's no cruelty of cows in India, you know. But when I went to go visit dairy farms, I noticed that they're chained. Mm. They're chained. They can only stand up or sit down. Oh. Um, their babies are far away from them. 
uh, it's so hot. I didn't see water. There's flies all over them. It was just excruciating. And we actually videoed there. And um, I was I was talking in the camera, and one of the, the cows were just sitting in their urine and feces mm. in this heat. And they would urinate, and some of the urinate, and they, but they were taking their tails, and this urine was coming on me as they're videoing me. And I'm like, ew, ew. But then I realized they're, they're, they're actually using the urine to pull their bodies. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my God, for a few urine drops on me is nothing compared to what they're going through. That must have been heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, where I come from, we consider, we call the cow Gaumata, means mother. So how could we be treating our mother this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can sense that they have some blinders on there the same way we have blinders on here about the way animals are treated in agri- animal agriculture. Yeah. Definitely. And in India, we also use buffalo milk, goat milk, and cow's milk. So, you know, you'll see all this, all of them are treated the same way. I imagine the dairy industry in India has to be huge in order to feed uh, a billion people. And, and especially dairy consumption is very high there because they think of it as godly. Correct, Dr. Riz, correct. I mean, there's close to 500 million heads of cattle in India. Oh my goodness. And it's become so commercial because we have to have it in our tea, in our coffee, in our yogurt, in our paneer, in our chash, which is buttermilk, um, in our ghee and in our sweets. So mm-hmm. Indians are having dairy three, four, five times a day. Oh, I imagine more than that. Maybe more than, yeah, maybe more than that. So it's just not sustainable that we keep these cows alive. They are going to go to slaughter once they cannot produce milk anymore. Well, uh, yeah, gosh, that interests me too. Uh, I recently heard that India was the second largest exporter of red meat in the world. And, yes. And I wonder then, how can killing a cow for its meat and selling it be part of the religious belief set? Exactly. There's a huge, huge uh, disconnect. And, you know, the root cause of the problem, Dr. Riz, is... It's not the export for beef. That might be a little bit of the problem, but it's for the dairy. It's the repeated forced pregnancies year after year and a massive population growth from the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. And so what are we going to do with all these cows? You know, so they are going to go to slaughter illegally and legally. And buffaloes are not protected in India. All buffaloes will go to slaughter. They do try to help cows. But um, they're still taken illegally. We just can't sustain it. How difficult was it to film at the dairy farms? Well, my director is very smart. And, yeah, he knows how to. I mean, he went and talked to them that we're filming for a college, uh, you know, a college documentary and da-da-da. And he even got to talk to the, the owner. Where me and another activist friend of mine just were kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. But then they let us in. and I. I was so happy that I was like, I bought a whole crate of bananas at some, um, down the street. Uh-huh. I fed all the cows. And so the owners seemed to be happy about that. Hmm. That's funny. I've never seen a cow eat a banana. Oh yeah. They eat bananas, greens, they eat all kinds of stuff. So we bought bananas and you know, it's like the whole family business. We saw a lot of little children there. They're basically disconnected to what's going on. Mm. And a lot of them 
this is their income. They don't know any better. They need to be, there needs to be some kind of education in India to help these farmers grow um, almonds and cashews and another way because when, once we get starting to talk about environment, um, they're going to have to switch over. But, but um, you know, these people who are poor that are just making a living doing this, they don't know any better. And this yeah. has just become a part of their life. Right. And I think that they don't know any better and they don't want to have to worry about that. They don't want to know because that, that uh, meant that uh, incongruity in their minds would be too hard to handle. Exactly. Exactly. I was going to say, when you take this message to the Indian, the average Indian, the average Hindu, and you try to talk to them in India about this, how are you received? Uh, they'll mostly say, oh, but cows here are not treated that way. Again, these places are kind of hidden. You'd have to go deep into the farmland. They come in a, milk comes at your door in this plastic container. Mm -hmm. So you're not really seeing, like back in the day, sometimes the farmer would bring the cow right at your front doorstep and milk the cow. Mm. Or even before that, a cow might have been in your backyard and you're treating it like a family member. Yeah. Um, but today it's kind of hidden and you get it in this plastic bag. So most people are very disconnected and if they know they don't they they want to remain ignorant mm -hmm. well it's very similar to what we're living in the the reality we're living in the states right that we're just so disconnected from what's happening to the animals that we just think it's a nutritious thing to consume milk for example exactly and you know they'll they'll say that our god lord krishna drank milk therefore it's religious it's sacred and ghee is so important, and ghee keeps our joints lubricated, and Lord Krishna had ghee. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, that was five, ten thousand years ago. Um, we're not living in that time anymore. You know, we're about, maybe there were a hundred million people on the planet. We're about eight billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. We're killing 70 billion land animals, and that doesn't include the trillion of fish we're killing. Mm -hmm. And so we have to evolve from this tradition. I have to wonder sometimes, too, when, when we hear these stories from a long time ago, sometimes I have to wonder if they're anecdotal and whether really he, whether he was really drinking milk and was he really eating ghee uh, or is, is that something passed down through the ages? Uh, and, you know, that's, that's something that I wonder about. Well, Dr. Riz, you know, um, in my meditation, I felt, yes, Lord Krishna never had it. And I can't mm -hmm. believe I'm saying this because... These are stories, these are myths. And, you know, it's always depicted that Lord Krishna drops the, the matki, which is a clay pot of ghee. He always, like, tips it over. <laughs> and that could mean that we shouldn't be having this. I don't know. You know, and it's never depicted that he's drinking milk as an adult. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, I feel deep in my heart. Maybe they never did. They, they, he loved his cows so much. He was a cow herder. He would sing to them. He would play flute to them. All the babies were with their uh, moms. And these are myths. These are stories. We weren't there at that time. Mm -hmm. So I'm beginning to think that as well. Yeah. I often think that stories that are passed down through the generations are um, legends that are meant to teach a lesson. Uh, and you can't take every word uh, literally. It's just too hard to 
accurately translate something from five millennia ago and say that you've got the exact same story or the word for word, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's the concepts and the ideas that they're trying to pass down. So I'm going to change, I'm going to change the topic here to Gandhi. Uh, two yes. things. Two things. First off is, uh, and you and I had recently a little exchange about an article that I had read and then I passed on to you to, uh, I would love you to comment on that. But also, uh, you have some relationship with Gandhi. Yes. So I'm a granddaughter. He was a freedom fighter. His name was Chaganlal Joshi. And he fought with Mahatma Gandhi on many social justice issues. He was right there on his side at the Salt March. Um, he's gone to jail with him several times. He's lived in the ashram with him. And so um, today I follow in my grandfather's footsteps. And, you know, I'm a freedom fighter also, an animal freedom fighter, fighting for the greatest social justice issues talked about today, which is speciesism. Mm -hmm. And I did read that article. So, Yeah, and that's why I thought it was so important is because if people understand what Gandhi understood, maybe they'll think of it in a different light as well. Yes, so he's the father of the nation. And Gandhi always spoke of ahimsa, okay? Truth and ahimsa. And once he found out about how cows and buffaloes were treated for milk, he, he, he gave up milk, okay? And a lot of people don't even mention this or talk about it. He gave up milk. And what happened is after that, he felt a little sick. I think he got a little bit of anemia or something. And at that time, the theory is that vitamin B12 wasn't discovered yet. It wasn't isolated yet. And so his doctors and his wife, um, you know, really told him that start goat's milk. Just have a little bit of goat's milk and you'll get better. And he did this, but he did it with a lot of remorse. He didn't want to. And he had a little goat's milk and he felt better. But had Gandhi be living here today, he would be number one rooting and protesting and wanting animal liberation because he was very against, you know, a mother and a child being separated. And he really, truly believed in ahimsa. I was really amazed that I had never heard that fact about Gandhi. So Gandhi, at his true core, wasn't a vegetarian. He was a vegan. Yes, Dr. Riz. Yes. And this is what a lot of people don't know. And, you know, back then, maybe because of this vitamin B12 theory, he got a little sick. You know, so today, for sure, he would have been a true vegan and he would have been promoting it. Can you explain to us the term speciesism? I don't even know how you pronounce that. Speciesism. So, yeah, it's basically a discrimination on species, especially discrimination about animals. You know, us humans think that we're considered higher because we look different than them. They have furs and feathers and beaks and two leg or four leg. But in every way that it matters, we feel the same joy and love and pain and suffering the way they do. Mm -hmm. And so just as racism, sexism and casteism, there's speciesism, that we should not discriminate them just because they look different or act different than we do. Oh. Yeah, isn't it interesting that uh, uh, humans selectively love some animals and then they selectively exclude those other animals from their existence like for for our dogs you know we'll love our dogs but we'll uh, and no one would ever think of killing a dog for meat in our western society yet uh yet they'll kill a pig 
for meat, but a pig is actually smarter and experiences emotion, is not only experiences emotion, but is smarter than a dog. And I find that fascinating. Exactly. They have an intelligence of a two-year-old child. And, you know, I love my dog so much. And when I found this out, I was like, geez, how could I be eating a slice of bacon and petting my dog at the same time? Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I feel like we're all disconnected. But yes, once people can find out that all animals feel love and pain and pleasure the same way, how could we hurt anyone? Right, exactly. And how did you meet then um, Renee from Rowdy Girl? Because you guys together just have this incredible voice and energy that that is spread all over uh, social media, really. But you guys impact a lot of people. So what's the relationship there? Yeah, so again, I'm going to take you back to my tree. Uh, when all this happened, I prayed to my tree that please send me a sanctuary uh, close by. And, you know, especially with cows, because it really, uh, I wanted to pet a cow. I wanted to be with the cow and, and, and ask for my forgiveness and spend time with them. And like two months later, after meditating there, I met a woman named Sandy McGavin at a farmer's market. And she's like, Dolly, did you know about this lady who's opened up a sanctuary not too far? This is her name, da-da-da. And I'm like, no way. And so I find out about Renee's information. I called her that same evening. We spoke for an hour. <laughs> and um, I think I heard her on a podcast. And soon after that, I met her at a, a vegan potluck in League City where she you know, told a story. And we connected. And I always tell everybody that she's my hero. My eyes live in her. Uh, her and Tommy, you know, every animal at that sanctuary has a name. Um, they live in joy. You can see the bond between the cows and the moms and the, the horses and the pigs. And now she has a sheep and donkeys. And um, so, yeah, Renee and I really connected. And um, I owe it all to my tree that led me to her. In fact, I owe it to my tree that's led me to everyone, even to amazing people like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And will she also be in your documentary? Yes, we have... Um, we have Renee as well, because I want to tell everybody, you know, how I met her and how I'm always going to Rowdy Girl every time for my birthday to feed the animals. So, yeah, she's yeah. in it. You were there yesterday at the new property. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so they're now in Walder, Texas, <laughs> and huge, huge property. And they're working on funding, of course, to build fencing. And um, But it was wonderful. There were so many people there. We sang. We blessed the land. We fed the animals. Um, you know, we got to give belly rubs to the pigs. How, how exciting for them. <laughs> and they love it. They'll just turn around once you give belly rubs and, you know, the cows. And, you know, and one of the cows there didn't have a, didn't have a child and the child didn't have a mother. And them two stuck, bonded because they were both alone. And you can see that cows are so emotional creatures. They're so social. And, um, you know, mother cows stay bonded with their children for life. And they have a great forgiveness power. Once they learn how to trust again, mm-hmm. they, they will love you and they will show you that respect and love. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You also do, um, well, you're a Jane Unchained correspondent. 
so that keeps you busy as well. I've seen you go live with uh, your recipes through Jane Unchained. Tell us about that. Yes. So I happened to be at Rowdy Girl doing an activism uh, lecture, and I met this great woman named Paige, who is the assistant of Jane. She had come also, and she gave me the idea. She's like, Donald, you really need to be going live with your recipes, you know? <laughs> and I was like, sure, okay. And so that's how that all started. And they really want me to do a lot of Indian cuisine that we can do dairy free and I'm like wow that's great I'm up for it so I'm really enjoying being on Jane and Chain very much it's a lot of fun I get to engage with people all around the world and um, I love it I love it yeah well you do really well when you go live <laughs> thanks Maya thanks how are you uh, funding this film and how can people help uh, if they want to jump in and help sure so um, we have a Facebook page. Please join us on the Land of Ahimsa Facebook. Um, like and share. Get your friends to like it. Join us on the GoFundMe. Um, it's called the Land of Ahimsa GoFundMe. Now, my husband and I, of course, invested so much into it because I'm so passionate about this. But please get involved. Be a part of making the world a better place. Um, on the GoFundMe, you can see what we aim to achieve, what the movie's about my bio, the director's bio, um, how your contributions will help with the travel costs, the editing, the PR people, um, the sound, the dubbing, everything is so much involved in this. Mm -hmm. And so please join us on the GoFundMe. Every little bit helps. And um, I truly would appreciate that. Thank you so much for everybody. And thank you, uh, Maya and Dr. Riz for your contribution. Thank you so much. Of course, your, my, our pleasure. Yes. And uh, and then also, so uh, what can we, you know, how are, how's the film coming along? What, what's the timeline and everything? Yes, yeah, so we've, we've, we've got a lot of uh, filming done. I have to go one time, I have to go back to India to the south. There's actually a complete vegan school in the south that I want to go to and film that school. And then there's two athletes one of them is called the Vegan Beast. He's like a bodybuilder, and he's gone vegan. And one of them is called the Indian Bruce Lee. He's in martial arts, and he's kind of raw. So he does all raw food. And um, he's beat some world records. So I want to like film him and a guy who's making milk out of peanuts and, and buttermilk out of peanuts. So i got to do that and then go back for dubbing and editing. So we're hoping the movie will come out maybe sometime next year, but I'm really working on the funding right now to get all this, um, you know, to finish it up. Did I see Drs. Munish and Bandana Chawla, along with Dr. Salish Rao, with you in uh, L.A.? Yes, so we went to L.A. to do like a kickoff uh, funding party and show like an eight-minute trailer to whoever came. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that they came out. So uh, Dr. Munish and uh, Dr. Bandana, who I met in my early journey, uh, they're in the film. They're going to be talking about, you know, how, how um, dairy is affecting our health. Same with Dr. Riz. Thank you so much. And um, other plant-based doctors in India, too. And Dr. Shayla Rao is our executive producer. I met him in my early journey. You know, he's been my teacher, my guru when I wanted to speak in temples, he's the one who taught me, teach them to use coconut milk or coconut water or coconut oil. 
in the temple instead of using milk because coconut um, holds a high spiritual value in my culture. So he taught me all those kind of things. So yeah, I'm very excited for all of them to be in the film and it's so nice of them to come out to LA. That's great. And Dr. Rao also speaks from an environmental perspective. Yes. So, and speaking of that, you went to his conference. You, like I said, you've been so busy. So last week you were in Mesa, Arizona for his conference. So we would have been at that conference had we not been at another one already. So what was that like? That was awesome. This was my second year going to that conference in Mesa, Arizona, held by Dr. Shayla Rao. The very exciting news in this conference is Dr. Rao has written a white paper, an official white paper saying that animal agriculture is responsible for 87% of greenhouse gas emissions. Now, it was said to be it's like 50 or 51%, but it's not true. It's 87%. And we're hoping that this white paper gets published in scientific environmentalist magazines. Um, we're praying that a journalist uh, grabs this paper and publishes it that will get more journalists to talk about it because no one's talking about it. And we need people to start talking about it. And the, and the most easiest, simple thing we can do to fight climate change is to go vegan and go vegan now today because we gotta leave an abundant, bountiful planet for our future generations. This is so serious because he talks about Vegan World 2026 Ground Zero where all wildlife with vertebrae will be extinct by 2026. Oh my goodness. Only animals we'll get to see with vertebrae are in zoos, and we know zoos are no good. Mm-hmm. And we're not too far, okay, when the animals go. Bees pollinate everything. It's so important to have bees on this planet. Mm-hmm. So this is so important. 87%, it's huge. And Jane, uh, Mitchell Velez is talking about it on her news channel a lot. So, um, yeah, this white paper is there. Dr. Rao is willing to debate any environmentalist or scientist on this paper. But 87% is responsible for greenhouse gas emissions. Now, let me give you an example. A single dairy cow emits 75 kilos of methane annually. Now, this goes up into the atmosphere, and it gets stuck there for about 11 years. And this is the reason why we're having global warming. And, you know, a single dairy cow can eat up to 50 grains of food a day and drink 50 to 100 liters of water a day. This is a massive amount. And then it takes a tremendous amount of water to grow the crops, to give it to the cows, who then we kill in the end anyway. So it, it's, it doesn't even make sense. And our animals eat a lot more than what they can produce. It's a very insufficient system that we're doing. 70% of the soy that is grown, it's not grown to feed the hungry children of this earth. It's grown to feed our livestock. When we can feed every hungry children, the, the soy, the corn, the grains, we have to give all of this to our livestock instead of you know, feeding the hungry children. Right. Apparently, with the food that we feed the animals in the animal industry, we can feed the people of the world five times over. Exactly. So, yeah, I was really happy to be at his um, thing. And we're starting like a Zoom thing. And he's going to put us into groups. 
and how we can get this message out, how we can make the world go vegan by 2026. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, very exciting. The, I think now, I think people, it's, it's interesting about how ideas gain traction. When we first started to hear about this stuff back in the late 90s, people just plain old denied it. And here we are, it finally took about 20 years, but there's a generally well-accepted consensus amongst, obviously, most of our scientists and a great deal of our public that this problem is true and exists. And, uh, but there no, no one's doing anything about it. Exactly. I mean, now they want to grow lab meat. They want to grow with the, with the DNA um, lab meat because they kind of know what, it, you know. And, and there's controversy on that because they will need some animals to grab that DNA and grow lab meat. But at least billions and billions of animals won't be killed for it. But the best thing is to do is just to go whole food plant-based. You know, Amen. and that's something Amen. easy. Yeah. And we can do that right now. We can do it three times a day. And we need to do this for our future generations. So tell me, uh, because we know that it's the correct path, what tips would you give someone who's interested in going plant-based and is still sort of consuming animal products but would like to get started? Watch Dominion or Earthlings. <laughs> uh, the first thing I always tell everybody to do is quit dairy. Yes. And doctor, you're so right. You're so right because, you know, People will say, oh, you're, you're a vegetarian. That's great. You don't eat meat. But dairy and cheese are like the main thing that you should get off of because they're so, I mean, the cruelty, yeah, the cruelty's there, of course, and they suffer, 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 and then you kill them. But of course, um, the case of morphine and milk, we're addicts to it. We're addicts to cheese, the bovine growth hormone. There's a cocktail of steroids in there. Um, it really is just liquid meat. You got it. You got it. And how we're serving this to our children in schools, I don't know. Um, just like a dentist would never be giving candy or soda, how can a school that is responsible for these children? I mean, I know Dr. Neil Bernard has worked really hard at getting uh, soy milk put into schools, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I think they're working hard on getting it out completely, but of course, it's so heavily subsidized. Mm-hmm. Um, but that will be the next step because I think science now is so um, proving that milk is, there's nothing in milk for the healthy body. And hopefully yes. that will be next. Going along the lines of that, I feel that if parents were to be informed, they would have a greater voice in terms of what's happening in school because they do. <laughs> so it's educating the community in various ways. And also, um, you said early on that finding the community did a lot for you when you transitioned. Yeah, that helps a lot. You've got to meet your vibe is your tribe. Mm-hmm. So you have to meet people who feel like you. And you know, Maya, at first it was all about the cruelty. Mm-hmm. But then I, I, I came to understand that, you know, this is making me feel good too. I mean, at first you can be vegan and still eat Oreos and potato chips and uh, mock meat. Mm-hmm. But because of the juicing and meditation, I was like, wow, I got I to gotta incorporate more healthy food into my life. Mm-hmm. And then you, you start wanting to be a healthier vegan. And then, you know, you can even be a fruitarian, vegetarian, whatever you want. But it, it, you just dive so deep in it. And it's just not about the animals. I, I feel like it's important that the health is important. The, the planet is important. Mm-hmm. I feel like all of it kind of weaves in together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It really is. Uh, it really is all uh, intertwined and all one thing. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Our health, the animal's health, and the planet's health. So you are staying busy, so I don't even know if I should ask, what's next for you? Because <laughs> are you taking another trip to India, you said? <laughs> no, but before that, November 8th, I'm going to New York, Manhattan, mm -hmm. and um, I'm speaking at the Indian Consulate. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, they've invited me to speak, and uh, I'm so excited about that. It, there's a, um, it's a nonprofit organization called um, World Vegan Vision, and they used to be a vegetarian nonprofit. Now they've gone vegan. Wow. And, um, yeah, they've invited me to speak, and I had to turn in my, my, my uh, lecture. But he, and I could talk about beef being, the, you know, one of the largest exports in India. And he's like, leave all that out. I was like, why? This is true. But they're like, you know, we don't want to insult the Indian consulate in any way. Oh, okay. Here we so go. He's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, listen, I know it's true, but we don't want to do any insulting. So we're celebrating Gandhi's 150th birthday. I want you to give a Gandhi twist to it. Uh -huh. So I was like, I'll do that. I'll do that. So I'm still going to cover, you know, what we're doing to the dairy cows and the health, the planet and the Gandhi twist, but not talk about um, anything that would, you know, be insulting to India because I don't want to do that at the, at the council. <laughs> kidding. We yeah. completely understand. Do you ever give other pub public talks like, do you ever anticipate coming to Dallas and speaking to the Indian community out here? I'd love to. In fact, uh, I try. I try to get. Uh, try to talk to Indian people in uh, Dallas. I'll try. You know, once this movie's got me so busy. I think I talked to a, um, Rebecca Allen, but I think she's in Austin. She's in Austin, okay. and she said she would try to get, connect me to a temple, or I need to speak to some Indian people actually in Dallas that might know. Um, a temple that I could maybe you know talk at because that's what I really want to do yeah well if you ever want to screen the movie before it's officially released we did that uh, that's one of the things that we do um, Victoria Moran came out here when she was screening a prayer for compassion and then we screened it again uh, so we definitely have a strong vegan group here that would support bringing in we're always trying to find ways to bring other people and to watch this kind of content so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That would be awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. If the community is raised with the idea of ahimsa, at what point are our children taught to respect all living things? Yeah. So uh, if you're born into a family, uh, Hindu or Jain family, you will be taught this from the get go that we, we don't eat animals and we don't hurt them. And, 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 and in the Jain community, yes, you won't even hurt a spider. You will, and after I became vegan, I become like that too. <laughs> but before, you know, we would just whack a fly or, but see, even though, and there might be, I'm a second generation in the United States. Okay. And so there might be a lot of people who grew up like me where their parents were vegetarian, but the, the next generation wasn't because their families knew that we're going to be living in America and we're just going to live the American way. Exactly. But I feel like the Jane community has kept those values very intact because you'll rarely meet a Jane uh, to eat meat. So yes, please tell us why dairy, consuming dairy is not part of Ahimsa. Yes, so there's um, three reasons that I go over. And number one is the cow is made pregnant by artificial insemination. And so first, you know, a lot of people don't know that cows have to be pregnant and have to have a baby for milk to be coming out. 
you know, a lot of doctors don't know this because they weren't taught this, or we just think that cows make milk because they're because they're cows, you know. So they have to be made pregnant, and they use artificial artificial insemination. And what I mean by artificial insemination is they use a rape rack, and these are not my words. The medical term for inseminating a cow is called a rape rack, which involves a crude procedure where it might take a few men to hold this cow down. And she's actually knowing exactly what's going on. And it involves a farmer inserting one arm up into the elbow through the cow's rectum into her private area, into the uterus without any painkillers. Now, if this was done to a human, it would be called rape. But because we do it to a cow, it's called artificial insemination. I mean, this is, it is so demeaning. It is such a violation. It is bestiality. And it's got to be abolished. The second reason is the male calf will be sold for veal. And without the dairy industry, the veal industry would not exist. And in India, Male calves are also of no use, so many of them will go to soft leather, which is very expensive leather. Wow. Or many times they stuff it and they put it in front of the mother. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my it's God. Called, I forget the Hindi word for it, but they stuff it and put it next to the mom. So she might produce some milk thinking her baby's alive. Oh, my God. Yes. Or the baby might be starved or poisoned, and the farmer will say nature took the baby, you know. Or they're put on the street, hungry, starving, and maybe eating plastic and die that way. Mm -hmm. Gosh. And, you know, the third reason is the female cow will be slaughtered at the tender age of five or six when they can live up to 20 to 25 years. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're almost getting these uh, cows pregnant at a very young age it's like babies having babies yeah and they stop it's the reason they they slaughter them at that age is because they stop producing milk correct yes and they're exhausted they're physically exhausted and um that yeah we've just sucked so much milk out of them they just will not get pregnant or produce milk anymore mm -hmm. and so those cows will be sent off for your cheap hamburger meat or your dog meat oh my gosh so the dairy industry is at the core of the deepest betrayal of motherhood and the female body. And I'll tell you why. We're only using her for her reproductive cycle. We're using her for this one reason, because she's a female. But she's not a milking machine. She's a sentient being. You know, let all mothers nurture their young. Yes, I appreciate what you just said because we've heard it said before in our community that if you're a true feminist, you would never contribute to the brutality that the female animals endure. There you All go. All female animals, yeah. There, there you go. There you go. Well said. Yeah, so um, this is what I explained why dairy is not a himsa. You know, and the worst thing we can do is break a bond between a mother and a child. And, 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 and this is something even in uh, Lord Krishna would be against, you know, or any, any, any God, any holy person is against separating a mother and child. That bond is so strong. And who are we to take a birthright of a baby where nature has intended that milk for that baby? Mm -hmm. 
very true. And, 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 the, and, you know, it's like, um, so we rape the female, but how do we get the semen? And so they're using an electrical ejaculator, which is also a very crude procedure to collect the semen from the male. So they're actually both being raped. Oh, my God. And exploited, my goodness. Exploited, yes. So, um, yeah, I feel so passionate about this, you know, and, and all those milk cartons that are just being thrown out at the school. Most kids don't even want to drink that milk. And all for all this pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I was a school teacher, I taught elementary, and I remember seeing all the awful food that the, anim that the children consumed. And, of course, the milk. And that was a while back. Uh, I have a sister who's still teaching, and she says they are forced to put the milk on the, each children's tray, whether the children drink the milk or not, they have to open the carton and then toss it out. So it's just such a waste after. Oh, such a, such a, imagine, imagine. I just, you know, this is our prayer that uh, Dr. Neil Bernard and PCRM can just get milk out of the lead school program, you know? Right. And then I'm telling you, and get the parents involved because if the parents knew how bad, uh, dairy was in the beginning for the children they they wouldn't want to contribute to that yes i think you're right Maya. i think that you need to join the um uh the school where they have the, the pto join the pto um get doctors like you to maybe you know do a lecture at the school or at least with the you know the um the faculty mm -hmm. and um get people involved you're right because if most parents say look we don't want this um that would help Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're very passionate about this topic, and I, and I can see why you're the perfect person to make this documentary. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. As a mother, as a female, as a sister, uh, I just feel like it's my duty to speak up. Definitely. And you know, one more thing on a lighter note, uh, because I was curious about your trip to France. You had said on another show that you were going to go join a woman who was going to do this um, several months March. So how did that go? Yeah, so um, actually Dr. Shailish Rao told me all about it. He advised me to go. Okay. And a woman named Charlotte Arnold um, is taking a walk for one year for the animals. And so she just has this backpack on her. And during her journey in France, she will just sleep outside or people can host her. They can feed her. And she'll be meeting activists. She'll get media involved. She'll go to sanctuaries. Um, she's going to put all these, her journey on YouTube and Facebook Live and get people involved. Mm -hmm. And by October 2020, she's going to end up at the French Parliament oh. asking them to change the law for animal liberation. Wow. And um, I was there for the inauguration. And uh, Dr. Rao was like, it's kind of like the East meeting the West. Mm -hmm. And um, not only India will be considered the land of Ahimsa in a nonviolent world, but the whole world will be considered the land of Ahimsa. Wonderful. And so you got to meet her. I bet you were very excited about that. I was very excited, very excited, yes. <laughs> She's wow. wonderful. Well, we can't thank you enough, Dolly, for this time that you spent with us sharing about your own journey and about the project that you're working on, your, the Land of Ahimsa documentary. Yes, thank you very much. Your, your enthusiasm is infectious. Oh, thank you. Same with you guys. I love you guys. Bye-bye. 
You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.